And open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. By the way, guys, since I saw you guys last, I adopted those people over there. Yeah, it's a Jesus thing. First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter one. Let me set this up for you. By the way, tonight you don't want to miss tonight. Tonight is going to be some intense Jesus. Unless you don't like intense Jesus, then in that case, don't come. I like my Jesus with a triple espresso. Which means don't get Starbucks, go to CC's Coffee, because they're the only ones that really give you a triple espresso. Second Peter chapter 1. Let me set this up for you. Right at the end of the year, I was given, actually last year, earlier last year, and I, I, I had just found out about this whenever I preached here last time, I think it was in the summer, that they had given me a very dire report seeing a mass on my kidney. Uh, and literally that trailed along for about six months. I did four sets of cat, of CAT scans, blood work like crazy uh, up at LSU Shreveport. Please understand, I'd already survived three different types of cancer, and now they were telling me that I had a mass on my kidney. So as it got toward the end of the year, I literally shut down my entire ministry. I was told that I was either going to lose part or all of my kidney. Uh, and, and I actually didn't even book anything for 2018. And whenever you're an evangelist, if you shut down your meetings, it takes a while sometimes to generate that again. So in total faith to God, uh, I cried out to him and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God said, trust me and go ahead and start booking. And so I booked my first service for around the end of January for a revival. I went to LSU in Shreveport. They brought me in, and a, an entire team of oncologists and an entire team of urologists sat me down. They'd also done a needle biopsy on my kidney. And they sat down and looked at me and said, you know, Mr. Bradford, we've been testing you for six months. We have four sets of CAT scans over that period of time. We have, uh, we have done the needle biopsy. It came back inconclusive. Uh, we've done blood work on you. And basically, we still haven't proved that you actually have cancer in your body, and nothing has grown in your body. So just come back and see us in three months. And I'm like, God said, nod your head and leave. And I just went, thank you, and just walked out, because they would have never understood the power of prayer. Do you believe that God still heals today? Do you believe that he still delivers today? Hallelujah. And so we learned to live by complete faith in God. Well, revival started breaking out in the services. As a matter of fact, uh, these three young people right here were in something that we did over in Saline, Louisiana. That was a crazy weekend, right? I got a bunch of Baptists and Methodists, former Baptists and Methodists getting filled with the Holy Ghost out in the pine trees in Louisiana. We had a glorious move of the Holy Spirit. It has just intensified since then. I can't even explain to you what God is doing except it's time. So I feel that I am here at a time in this region, and I'm, I'm kind of here as a forerunner again this weekend for what I believe God's going to do next weekend. But can we go ahead and get started this Sunday? So I'm just here to push you over the edge. Is that okay? If we're at the tipping point, will you allow yourself to be pushed over the edge and just plunge off into God today? 
All right, so this is not a sermon that I've been preaching. He gave it to me at the first of the year. I preached it, and then it's like nothing else. And now I know why God has me preaching it here. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. Title of the message is Dynamics of Momentum. A dynamic kingdom movement. How many of you believe that God has a kingdom, not just a church, not just a denomination, that it's a kingdom? <sighs> okay, that was weak. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for a move of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon your church this morning. Father, I bind every hindering spirit in this region right now. I bind religious spirits. I, I bind that Pharaoh spirit of control, Lord. Uh, I, I bind that Pharisee spirit of religion that tells people it's all right to just attend church and not be changed. And Father, I pray that you would shake everything that can be shaken. And we ask it in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said what? Amen. Where's my amen section? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you a couple of more scriptures here. These are King James version of these passages, but Acts chapter 17, verse 28, Paul is speaking to the Athenians at Mars Hill, and they were at that temple of the unknown God, and he, he said something to them, talking about his God, the real living God. He said, for in him, this is Acts 17 from verse 28, for in him we live, say live, and move, say move. And have our being. Also Acts 20, 24. I'm laying the foundation for you here. But none of these things move me, Paul says later. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, that word move is a dynamic action word. It is not a sedentary word. It's not about being still. It's not about being passive. It's about setting things in motion. Do you believe that God wants to move by his spirit in this region? It's not a rhetorical question, so I'm glad that you answered. But sometimes we need a push so that we can move. So what I'm here to do here is give you an equation. I'm here to give you the formula to the secret sauce. <laughs> Woo. I've been a part of revival and I've been a part of statewide revival and even revivals on a nationwide scale. And I know a little bit about it. I don't know enough, but I know a little bit enough to make me hungry for more. So God wants to move. God wants his church to move. God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And he wants to do it here. If you don't realize this, baby, this is a setup. God brought these pastors in here. He's brought me in here. He's bringing in a man of God. The men and women of faith that he's sending to this church to start bolstering it and building it up, it's a setup. Not only that, God has plans not just for one church, uh, but to shake the churches in this region. Do you, have you been praying for something like that? It's what works. Jesus said to his disciples, the works that I do and greater works shall you do because you're called to be my disciples. 
Now, let me give you a definition of the word work from the Greek. Energeo in the Greek, to aid someone, to be operative, to put forth power, to affect, to show oneself effective, to be at work, to be active, to accomplish, or to be effective. The power, the word power that is used here is the dunamis or dunameo, the Holy Ghost dynamite power of God. Now, I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from with this. So this is how this message came to me. It came two ways. One was I heard a prophetic word from a guy named Chuck Pierce. Anybody ever heard of Prophet Chuck Pierce? Okay, a handful of you have. If you don't know who he is, shame on you. He's an awesome man of God. God is using him mightily in this last days. He is both an apostle and a prophet and used mightily of God. Every year during the Hebrew calendar kicking off in the fall, he gives a word about what God is showing him about what's coming. And I didn't hear it when he did it. I heard it on the East Coast when he was kind of repeating it and preaching it. But before that, I'm flipping through some stuff, and I'm reading about William Booth. Anybody know who William Booth is? The guy who founded the Salvation Army, okay? If you don't know about William Booth, if you think the Salvation Army was just a hokey thing, Salvation Army was the first Holy Ghost organization that was structured to literally affect the whole planet. The man raised up soup kitchens in 57 countries, He had orphanages. He had farms and people who would come out of prison. He had halfway houses. Uh, He would train men and women. He had had places where unwed mothers could stay. He was doing all that back in the 1800s, was full of the Holy Ghost and fire. And God told him to start a military, militaristic movement. uh, And uh, God used him mightily and he had many visions. But William Booth said this, and I was reading this and it just blew up in me. And that was the reason for this message. He said, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. How many times do people, oh oh Lord, (laughs) stand up and pray. I'm almost afraid to ask some folks to stand up and pray in church. Because it sounds, or or even, anybody here ever been one of those old school testimony services? You know the reason we stopped having those kind of testimony services? Because they became so depressing. People would get up instead of glorifying God for what he was doing. It it would turn into a litany of, and then I heard one lady stand up and say, the devil's been on me all week long. Bless his holy name. That was the actual testimony. Of course, that was the same lady who got up and testified that God had delivered her from deodorant and soap. So, um, no, and coffee. We, We knew that God had delivered her from the deodorant. We just didn't know about the coffee. (laughs) So whenever Chuck gave out this prophetic word, there was a part of it. I wrote down a lot of it. There's part of it I wrote down and I had a moment. I'm not talking about a senior moment. I'm just talking about a moment. I'm 60 now, so I do have senior moments too. Uh, My favorite commercial, by the way, is the Geico car commercial where the space captain is going to go fight the space bad guys, but he loses the keys to his spaceship. And and so he's like all over, he can't find it, and it's on a silver carabiner, and the whole ship is looking for his keys, so that's me. So Chuck Pierce said this. He said, God is about to release degrees and moments of momentum in the earth. And he said this, it only takes a moment, your moment, to create momentum. 
He said, God's about to do that. Can I say to you, I've seen this happen in my life this year already. If God is doing this in the earth and he's releasing moments that cause momentum. Let me give you the definition of momentum. I'm just setting all this up. I haven't lost you yet, have I? Because we're fixing to go deep. I'm actually going into a physics lesson here in a second. And this is the guy who math was scary for me, messy for me. Anybody here love math? I don't like you. I don't understand you. I don't understand how half of your brain works. I don't. No, I like you. I love you in Jesus' name. So. Momentum is the quantity of motion of a moving body measured as a product of mass times velocity. The impetus is gained by a moving object. Second part of that definition, the strength or force of something has when it's moving. The strength or force of the mass of an object multiplied by its velocity on a linear plane, mass times velocity equals momentum. And here's the truth for you. The more momentum you gain, the harder it is to stop. The harder it is to stop you. What happens, like I said, I hadn't been preaching this. If I look at my notes a lot, y'all be patient with me. So what would happen if you gathered momentum? What would happen if this church gathers momentum? What would happen if a move of the Holy Spirit gathers momentum in this region? Do you believe God can do it? Once it gets going, it's hard for the devil to stop it. But he does have ways to stop it. As a matter of fact, many of you have seen major revival movements or moves of the Holy Spirit that are now dead in the water. But once we're moving mightily for God, can I get an amen, somebody, if you've seen that happen? What is the enemy of momentum? I know I'm giving you a physics lesson. Here we go. And this is so hilarious that God has me teaching this. It's called inertia in the world of physics. The property that matter has when things continue to exist in a state of rest or uniformity unless that state is changed by an external force. So inertia causes mass to literally be still, okay? A tendency to do nothing, this is the other part of the definition, or remain unchanged. Or in other words, the state of many people in churches. What changes inertia? In the laws of physics, it's something called impulse. Now, I'm not talking about the impulse. I had an impulse and I bought a car. Some of you have closets full of shoe impulses. I'm not looking at Chantel right now. <laughs> hey, guys, we can't laugh here. For me, I, I could fill up a storage shed and a couple of safes with guns and with, with rod and reels and stuff like that. I have sports impulses. I just don't have a sports budget the way that I would like to, but I have sports impulses. But that's not the impulse that I'm looking for. Here's the definition for impulse. The effect of force, listen to this, plus time, or how long did you apply that force? And the longer that force is applied, the impulse, that's power over a period of time, the greater the impulse, the more the momentum. Anybody see where we're going here? Again, God has a great sense of humor, me teaching this until I get to the spiritual application. But what can slow down a church and bring us to a halt? What can slow down your spiritual growth? What can slow down a move of the Holy Spirit that may have begun well, begun supernaturally, 
And the power of God be building towards something. And now a church is growing. And now it's impacting other people. Now it's even impacting the community. When the Brownsville revival took place in Pensacola, Florida, and broke out there supernaturally, it didn't affect just one church. Uh, Literally millions of people made their way to Pensacola, Florida to go through a little assembly of God church uh, and see the power of God. But it affected the culture of that region. Uh, It affected the dynamics. Of, of literally uh, of the money in that region and of the finance of that region. It affected the school systems. God would invade classrooms uh, in public schools and an entire classroom of young people would begin to weep and cry and shake under the power of God as God just began to invade more and more aspects of the society of that city and it began to resound in the nation in 2020 in 60 minutes uh, began to send people and people came from all over the world to drink of that well took it back and revival would break out in their churches but even those famed revivalists and I got to sit in the green room with every one of them and talk to them and listen to them told us how after a period of five years which that's longer than most revival movements last But we've also sat with the ones from the Argentine revival, which lasted upwards of 20 years. But each of them told us their tales of what killed the move. What stopped something that was wonderful, that was blessing families, that was launching new ministries. What stopped those moves of God? I'm going to give you four or five things, three or four things real quick. Are you listening? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and the first one is this. I'm going to buzz through these very, very quickly so I can get back to this kind of a more of a prophetic look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, that's an encumbrance, and the sin that so easily entangles us. By the way, it is hard to move when vines of sin have you wrapped up. And the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God is telling you this morning, church, I want you to run your race. But it's not a sprint. It's an endurance race. And I will build it up gradually over time and you'll move forward in me and you'll finally get somewhere. Sin will slow you down. Sin will eventually shut you down. Number two. Is pride. Number one was sin. And again, I'm just going through these very quickly. Number two is pride. Proverbs 16, 18 said, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's hard to gain momentum when you keep falling. If I've ever seen anything kill a revival movement uh, or kill a move of the Holy Spirit, it's when God begins to anoint and actually use people and then they become puffed up in their self uh, and they begin to think that they're something uh, and they begin to love the sound of their own voice or how God is using them and they think that they're all that in a bag of chips. Uh, I'm trying to look at every one of you in the eyes that I'm an equal opportunity offender. And I love you, and, I, and I'm going to hit you hard this morning. Is that all right if I tell you the truth in love? Pride will kill you. If it, if it took down one of the number one cherubs, cherubim, who was a worshiper of God and saw God in his face every day, Lucifer, if it can cause him to stumble and fall and fall so far that he fell from heaven. 
and took a third of heaven with him, then it can happen to you, beloved. It's hard to move when you keep falling. Number three, so sin, pride. Number three, we're talking about things that bring inertia. We're talking about things that slow you down and eventually stop you. Number three is unforgiveness. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. So, oh, by the way, I don't care who you are. We've all been wounded. We've all been hit by bitterness or unforgiveness or hurt at some point in time in your life. And how you handle that determines how God can use you. Matthew 5, 23, 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Uh, If there's ever been a, you know what a chalk block is? I'm a country boy. You know what a chalk block is? If you load your four-wheeler on the trailer and you don't put a chalk block and you don't strap that thing down, that four-wheeler is going to be in somebody's windshield. Amen, somebody. Or a tractor. The chalk block is what keeps it from rolling and moving around and rocking back and forth. But can I say to you in the negative aspect of that, God will bring you to a place in your life that if you have bitterness around... See, here's the thing. So many times we think we have a right to be offended. And you know what? You can be technically correct and spiritually wrong. (laughs) You can go, well, you don't understand what he did, she did, they did. You don't understand. They, They did me this way. They said this about me. They ignored me. They didn't notice my gift. Sometimes there's kind of a mingling of pride and unforgiveness. And the devil will blow it up in your spirit and you'll think that you have a right to feel this way or act this way or treat them a certain way. I can't tell you how many times God has had me go to someone and apologize and then he made me do it again and then he made me do it again because the first two times I really didn't mean it. I was just tired of God cutting me off. I was tired of being at the place where I could no longer hear his voice. Or I was struggling and God was no longer even blessing me financially and doors were not opening and and the gifts in my life got shut down. God effectively put a chalk block there and said, no, 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 big boy, I'm not going to use you anymore like that. Boom, you stop right, get this right, then we'll let you go. He loved He loves you so much he'll do that. I'm talking about a move of the whole, oh, we are setting this thing up. For next Sunday night, hallelujah. Can we just get this junk out of the way right now? Maybe God's not in your home the way he used to be. Maybe God's not in your business the way he used to be. And blessing you financially and those things that you put your hand to. Maybe the anointing has lifted off of you. Maybe no longer are you getting uh, any kind of a flow from God or a creative flow from God. I'll tell you what God will do. He will say, leave your gift at the altar. And that's not just your financial obligations, but even those spiritual gifts that God has given you, leave it at the altar, go and make it right. And make it right till you mean it right. Examine your own heart. 
That's going to have to happen for someone here this morning so that you can be released. Forgive and release so you can be released. Can I get an amen, somebody? Number four, I'm just buzzing through this. Religion and religious people. (laughs) Matthew 23, verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens. That's what Pharisee experience do. And lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So here, can can I just tell you some of these controlling spirits, uh, Pharisaic or religious spirits, people who think that they are holier than you. And oh, and by the way, I'm holier than you and I'm more righteous than you. Or maybe you have a Pharaoh spirit or someone has a Pharaoh spirit. They have a controlling spirit that, that, that literally tries to dominate other people and bend them to their will. Or maybe it's a Jezebel type spirit where it's very manipulative and very crafty and it's still trying to turn things their way. Some of you are not wanting to look at me right now. What's up with that? And you'll see it in churches. Can I tell you something? It all belongs to daddy. It all belongs to daddy. It don't belong to me. It don't belong to you. We're, we're servants and we're sons and daughters. It don't belong to us. That's why God is doing something amazing right now, and it's called the key of David. God is literally releasing principles and degrees of freedom of movement. Hallelujah. He's doing a new thing. He's pulling down old kingdoms, and he's raising up new kingdoms. Aren't you glad that God is able to do that very thing? But for one kingdom to come, another kingdom has to go. That's why they hated John the Baptist. The religious leaders hated John the Baptist. Uh, They hated Jesus. Uh, They won't like you either. But you have to forgive them. Still with me? Yeah, because I'm going there whether you are or not. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. That will remove the stumbling blocks. That will remove the chalk blocks. Can I get back to my equation now? It's going to be crazy up in here tonight. The definition for mass in science, mass is the amount of matter an object has. In physics, Sir Isaac Newton's second law of physics says that mass is the property of matter that determines the force required to impart acceleration. In other words, a change in its state of motion to an object. Okay? Now, in him we live and we move and we have our being. I asked God, what is the spiritual principle for mass here? What are you saying? He said, son, mass is faith for the believer. Because faith is the weightiest substance in the universe. A mu- I am not smart enough to come up with this. And this is what Chuck preached. All he just said was, there's going to be a release of momentum in the kingdom. And I'm like, ah, and God takes me on this crazy thing. He said, God says to me, oh yeah, God talks to you. Yes, he talks. I have to get me out of the way. I can't come up with this stuff. I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff. Mass is faith. A mustard seed Size of faith moves a mountain. Don't you think God can move for you? 
The just shall live by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. It is weighty, the most powerful matter in the universe. Uh, huh. So that your faith, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Okay? So y'all remember what I read to you about William Booth. He's, remember what he said now. I, I, I love it. William, let me read it to you again. I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. All right? Ready for this? So then I read this by Smith Wigglesworth. God's bringing all this stuff out to me. So something has to happen. Remember, inertia makes you dead in the water. Inertia makes you just a massive lump on the pew. You're not affecting change in the church. There's no change happening in your life. Your loved ones aren't getting saved because you have no faith. And your faith is not moving. Because understand, faith without works is dead. So you can be the heaviest matter in the universe, uh, but there is nothing worse than someone who is called a person of faith who is unwilling to move. So if faith is the weightiest matter in the universe and you say you're a person of faith and you've read all these scriptures on faith uh, and, you've, and you've studied the word of God and you've prayed and you've done all this stuff and you, and you believe uh, and yet you're not moving on what you say you believe. Uh, inertia has crept into your life uh, and you're just sitting there a lump uh, and now you begin to change literally the very... Uh, the, 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 I told you I'm lifting weights. I started lifting weights. Understand, I, I got up to, right, just right after my wife died, I was 376 pounds. I'm just a shade over 300. You said that's still a lot. It is an awful lot, but uh, it's 65, so, excuse me, almost 70 pounds less than what I was three years ago. I lifted weights for an hour and a half yesterday and walked for 30 minutes on a treadmill. Now, you may think that that's not a whole lot, but can I tell you, if I just sit in my recliner, I will die. And I love bluebell ice cream. I really felt like God invented bluebell ice cream, but God also invented movement. <laughs> so if bluebell ice cream became my faith, Baby, we got out of church early tonight. Let's go to the church of Bluebell <laughs> on the way home. I, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pecan pralines and cream. Whew. I know it's a revelation. Y'all, please smile at me. I had to get up and get, get, God told me, get up and get moving. You know what God said to me? I love you, Paul, but I'm not going to be able to use you. I love you, Paul. I've called you, but I'm not going to be able to use you because you love that more than you love me or my people or my work. So my problem was food. I was, I was, I was worshiping at the altar of food. I'm sorry, is that too honest for you? It's not, it's not like God wouldn't have to clean up other areas in my life and do other things in my life, but please help, help me understand. And your, your, your pastors have got the revelation of that, and you can see that. Just so that we... That's not to make you feel good. This is just where they are in God. They're doing this so they can do more for God. 
I'm doing this so that I can live longer and do more for God. Can I get a witness, somebody? It's a mind, body, spirit thing. I ain't lost you yet, have I? Did I lose you when we went there? So faith without works is an inert mass. It turns you into a big lump sitting on the pew. Something has to happen to galvanize our faith. So I found this quote from Smith Wigglesworth that goes right along with what William Booth said. He said, if the spirit does not move me, I move the spirit. Because how do you build up your faith? Well, I'm just giving you basic pastoral type teaching here this morning. Is that all right with you? I'll hit you more like an evangelist tonight, but most of you probably won't be here. Because you had to move to get here. If the Spirit does not move me, I move the Spirit. Oh, Lord, please send. <laughs> and you're looking at a revivalist. Oh, Lord, send a move of the Holy Spirit. And God says, okay, let's start with you. Uh, no, Lord, you need to move on my pastor. You need to move on that little skinny worship leader so we can stir something up. God, move on the church. Move on the people. I remember one time I was doing deliverance on somebody, and I was kind of new in deliverance at that time. It was a long time ago. And, and, I, and the devils were turning around and trying to jump back on me. And I said, Lord, rebuke the devil for me. And the Lord said, you rebuke him. I gave you authority. You have the blood of Jesus. I baptized you in the Holy Ghost and fire. I've given you the authority of the believer that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loose in heaven. So why don't you rebuke? You know what? It worked. I've been doing that ever since, and it's kind of fun. Can't you tell I'm a lot sweeter than I used to be? I'm nice. I'm a nice guy now. So if something has slowed us down and brought our churches to a place of inertia where the same thing's happening every Sunday and nothing's changing and nothing's happening, the same thing's happening in your home, the same thing's happening in your personal life, you can ignore your condition, but whenever you're sitting still like that and you're never moving in any way, shape, form, or fashion, you begin to break down. So it takes an impulse to break the hindrance of the inertia. It takes a push. You've all heard that acronym P-U-S-H, push, pray until something happens. Uh, You want to build up your faith? Pray in the Holy Ghost. You want to build up your faith? Uh, You better read your word of God. Uh, It is amazing to me how many people who have been in church for years do not have a personal devotional life. I challenged three young pastors just this week uh, and in the last ten days, uh, and I asked them, what what does your prayer life look like? I even gave them prayer mandates. Uh, Here's what 
what I said to them because they were saying to me, I want to be discipled by you. I'm a young pastor. I want to learn. I said, okay, I'm going to give you these things to pray. If you're not praying them every day, I'm going to give a pop quiz and I'm going to do it in front of people and it's going to embarrass you to death when I ask you to pray on the whole armor of God because you never pray it yourself on yourself. Or when I ask you in front of you, no, 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 no. You said you want me to disciple you? I'm a tough discipler. So so you can't even pray the Lord's Prayer hardly for me because I just asked you. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm pastoring. I'm in about seven states right now. Some of you looking down again. Look this way. Most believers don't know the nine gifts of the Spirit. How can you ask God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you don't know the nine gifts of the Spirit? Lord, I want to hear from God. I want to, <laughs> I want to move in prophecy. I want to move in revelation. Lord, give me prophetic gifts. Do you ask for prophetic gifts? Do you pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord? I'm nudging you. Actually, don't look now. I'm fixing to push you over the edge. Or you could run. Or you could just sit there. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. An impulse is an external force that acts upon a mass to create momentum which will bring real power. It is the product of mass and velocity over a period of time. Daniel prayed for 21 days and the Holy Spirit moved a kingdom. The Holy Spirit moved in the heavenlies. When the prince of the power of the air over Persia tried to withstand even even. Gabriel, the messenger from God, and Michael had to come. Daniel didn't stop interceding in prayer until there was a breakthrough and God rocked Babylon. We're living in Babylon now. What's going to change something like that in our nation? What's going to change the sinfulness of the region that you're in right now? When people glorify Mardi Gras, a demonic celebration, yeah, I'm totally going there. You can get more people to come to a Halloween. Mardi Gras or something like that, but have a prayer meeting. On an off week night, Pastor, I don't know. I think we need a move of God around here. Okay, I'll meet you up at the church for prayer. Let's just have a night of worship. Let's just come together. Let's worship God. Let's glorify. Let's pray one for another. How many minutes a day do you pray? How much Bible do you read every day? Christian? You know the four spiritual laws? How many salvation scriptures do you know? How long have you been in church? Lump. Lump together. Church is full of lumps. And God weeps for the lost. How many streets would you have to go over to fill this church up just if you just witnessed just around here? Okay, I'm sorry. This is not even in this, in this sermon. Just asking. And you didn't know what I was going to preach, did you?
never tell you what I want to pray. Jesus walked through the door where his disciples post-crucifixion. This is, we're, we're after Easter here, right? Okay, so this is the Sunday after Easter. And let's say Jesus just walked in. And we're all sitting here hiding out inert with fear to go out. We're, we're afraid to go out and be a bold witness for God. We're afraid to make an impact. We're afraid to impact our school system. We're afraid to impact uh, our workplace. We're afraid to impact our community politically. And so we're just kind of sitting here huddling in our church. Jesus walks through the wall and he has to literally breathe on the disciples to get them enough momentum to even get up and get their butts to the upper room. In other words, he had to give them enough Holy Ghost for them to even go get the Holy Ghost. Wow. Once they got there, I'm having so much fun. Hallelujah. Just enough of an impulse to break that grip of their fierce fear of the Pharisees. Don't say that fast three times. Go and tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued in Dunameo with power from on high and in in Dunameo to Energeo. And for the next 10 days of acceleration, they... Are you are, are y'all following me with this? They took that lump mass of who they were and they began to move on a linear plane toward God, uh, increasing in velocity for 10 days of gritty, uncompromising prayer until boom! Critical mass. And they exploded out of the upper room and they turned the known world upside down. What's it going to take for you? Because see, I just was in your face a little bit. But are you just going to say, this is just, that's just evangelistic rhetoric? Wrong. I'm preaching pastorally. I don't get to do that. So, I'm... When you sustain velocity over a period of time, we have electricity that's created by turbines in the water and big wind turbines in the air. Y'all see the giant windmills all over America now? Those things turn. Electrical energy is created. It lights up America. It cools our homes. We have those turbines, and it's the movement of the water and the movement of the wind, and that's what sustains our electrical grid. Can I ask you something? Where does the water come from? Where does the wind come from? Oh, Lord, let the river of God flow here, okay? comes from God. Did you know that on the earth, uh, I, by the way, there's an incredible amount of revelation that I'm, I'm just going to jump ahead and just do this because I've already lost a lot of you. But I'm here for somebody. There's this thing called a magnetic field. And all around the earth, there are these magnetic fields. And it creates a dynamic tension that causes water to flow and causes winds to blow in the earth. The scripture says we don't know where the wind blows. God set it up where winds, we don't know where they're coming from or how God does them, winds of all kinds, upper, upper winds that blow at an incredible rate, winds that flow down out of mountains. Man has learned how to harness the wind, but they don't know where the wind comes from. We know that water flows in the river. Some places it actually flows uphill. It's crazy. It moves in tides in the ocean, but we, we wonder where it comes from. God created the heavens and the earth to make that happen. Can I say to you, there is a move of the Holy Spirit that is coming where God is shifting the atmosphere. I'm just going to go prophetic on you because I don't like my physics lesson. So. 
And God is moving things in the earth, but only those who know how to get in place and in position to catch the wind. And only those who know how to position themselves to catch the water. Those are the ones that suddenly the wheels start turning. And suddenly life is introduced to you. And suddenly energy is produced in your life. And suddenly you're doing something amazing for God. When God begins to move in your life because you simply placed yourself because you understand the principles of the spirit of the living God. And you understand the freedom and the momentum that comes whenever God begins to give you sustained moves of the Holy Spirit. And the only thing that's going to change this region is not just a good service. This Sunday and next Sunday, God's coming here to give you a push. What are you going to do with it? Will you set yourself in position? Will you remove the stumbling blocks and the obstacles of your bitterness, uh, of your unforgiveness, uh, of controlling religious thought patterns? Uh, Will you get the sin uh, out of your life? Uh, You say, God, uh, I want you to save my family. I want you to save my children and my grandchildren or my husband or my wife. Will you come and position yourself before God? Will you do that daily? Will you pray like Daniel prayed? Because... What we're saying is, God, move me. And what Wigglesworth and Booth learned was, yeah, God will do that. And I'm going to move too. And I'm going to move heaven and earth with my prayers. And I'm going to move in the spirit. And I'm going to break all of these obstacles and hindrances and stumbling blocks off of me. And I'm going to step into what God wants me to do. In the third chapter of Ephesians, I haven't been preaching. Matter of fact, I've got to study more on it. I'm going to close. Can you come just to the guitar just by yourself? There are people coming from other churches tonight to set themselves in agreement for your church. But if you don't want it, then God will remove the lumps and he'll find matter that can be acted upon. You said that's pretty tough. I know. Your friends will tell you the truth. Right? And you shall know the love of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. The breadth and the length and the depth and the height of his love that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. And he loves you so much that right now he's giving you this word. You're locked down in inertia. Will you please, Father God, I pray that you pull the blinders off of people's spiritual eyes right now. I need saints of God to begin to pray.